what a joy it is to go and be with family, and it's um, particularly joyful if you have little ones still in the house. I remember very fondly all those uh, years, so fleeting as they are, but so fun to, uh, to see all the anticipation and the fun in their eyes. And if we know how to give good gifts, the Lord certainly has taught us that, and He knows how to give them, doesn't He? Anyway, it's good to be together with you, and I'd like you, if you would, to turn your copy of God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We are embarking on our final run, starting through 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, all the way to chapter 13, verse 14. It's been a fun study, and we have uh, these 23 verses remaining. We have titled them Marks of Ministry, Paul's Example. Let's read that section there, although it's long. Just allow the Holy Spirit to go to work through His Word as we begin to uh, study it. Look at verse 12. I'll keep you together with verse cues, but open your word, open the word of God that you have and read along with us. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Verse 13, for in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Verse 14, here for this third time, I'm ready to come to you and I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Verse 16. Be that as it may. I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you by deceit. Verse 17. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you. Through any of those whom I've sent to you, have I? Verse 18, I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? Verse 19, all this time you've been thinking that we were defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Verse 24, I am afraid. That perhaps when I come, I may find you not to be what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife and jealousy, angry tempers and disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. Verse 21, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity immorality and sensuality which they have practiced now look at chapter 13 verse 1 this is the third time i'm coming to you every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses verse 2 i have previously said when present the second time and though now absent i say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well that if i come again i will not spare anyone verse 3 since you are seeking for proof of the christ who speaks in me and who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you? Verse 4, for indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Verse 5, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Verse 6, but... I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God, verse 7, that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what's right, even though we may appear unapproved. Verse 8, for we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. Verse 9, for we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This also we pray for you, that you be made complete. Verse 10, for this reason, I'm writing these things while absent. So that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Verse 11, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the saints greet you, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. When we took a look at this passage as a whole, as Paul wraps up this letter, his fourth to the church, 
And you remember all that we have studied and, and all the hard things Paul had to say and the few still that remain that we just read. If we're going to sum up these 23 verses in one word, it could be the word love. That may seem foreign to your ears. It, it can seem foreign to the modern church. Um, they certainly would most, I think, in the modern church, not necessarily here, most of the modern church would prefer that those who lead the church make them feel good. Not really interested in hearing things that perhaps uh, need to be pointed out. They're not interested in acting on things that need to be acted on or responding to reproof. They want to be, they want to feel good. But I think that we can see that that's not the case for every circumstance. And we can certainly see that in spite of all the hard things Paul, as an elder of the church, had to do, that he, and he wants to remind them that he did it all because he loves them and demonstrates that very clearly. And again, as we pointed out at the beginning of this letter, Paul reveals his heart to them, as opposed to that first letter we have recorded for us where he points out doctrinal problems. He points out problems inside the congregation, taking each other to court, immorality inside the church, um, the way that the, church, uh, the services were being run. Those kinds of things he, Paul took to task and corrected those things in the church in that first letter that we read and studied. And he, we get to this letter and we said that he was going to reveal his heart. And he did that all the way through. He told about how he has been comforted by the Lord in all of his sorrow. He's told us about how all the difficulties that he's had as he's worked his way through the ministry and just revealed the difficult life and the hard times that he's had and that how the Lord has brought him through that. And he does that here at the end as well. And as we really kind of labeled this marks of ministry, Paul's example, I want to start with the first of Paul's examples. And we, and we looked at this just briefly three weeks ago. In fact, we look at this verse at length, but not this particular phrase. We looked at verse 12 for two weeks. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. And we took two weeks to kind of look at what signs, wonders, and miracles actually looked like, who was qualified to bring them. And I think we're pretty solid there. But as we looked at the signs of Paul's apostleship, we understand all of that. But the words that help us understand the heart and example of Paul are in the phrase, with all perseverance. And, and I want to look at that phrase with our time today because it so defines the heart of Paul and it really defines and needs to define the heart of all true people who minister in the name of Christ. False teachers are concerned, of course, about fame and about prestige and about importance, which is all driven by pride. But with regard to the work of the church, Paul's concern was humble faithfulness and dedication. He was concerned about doing God's will, not drawing attention to himself. And many in the church of Corinth had been deceived by false apostles. We saw that lured by false wonders and false signs. And even though some of them misused him and they slandered him and they gossiped about him, he was still faithful and he was faithful to discharge the ministry uh, God's way, no matter what the price. And here he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you by signs and wonders and miracles. And we talked about all that, but if we draw out this little phrase with all perseverance, you have basically what his constant attitude with regard to all the ministry was, perseverance. When it came to his countrymen, uh, some in the church, the Roman authorities certainly, it's easy to sum up how he was treated. He was persecuted. Uh, they were hostile to Paul. They hated him. They resented him. They rejected him. And ultimately, they beheaded him. But through all of that, through all of his ministry, he maintained his faithfulness. Because that's bound up in the word perseverance, the noun hupomone in the Greek, which just means to bear up under. It can be used to be bear up under a pack, bear up under a weight. In particular, here in this context, it is bearing up under circumstances and remaining faithful. And, and that's really our first mark in this section, serving as an example from Paul for those in the ministry. And here it is. It's bearing up and remaining faithful in the service of ministry. Now, I think we can say pretty confidently and with accuracy that um, I don't think any minister has had to put up with all that Paul has had to put up with, which I would just say makes the illustrations and the marks and the example all the greater for us. In other words, if he could put up and be faithful with all that he had to put up with, the things that we have to put up with, you can certainly find perseverance and faithfulness in that. And in a world where people bail out at the first sign of difficulty, a little opposition and they leave, or too busy with their life to plug in, Paul remained faithful under hostility and persecution for his whole ministry. From the very time of his conversion, and his, he first began to preach, there was hatred, there was hostility, people vilified him, they wanted him dead, 
And all his ministry long, there were plots to kill him by the Jews, hostility, even the Gentiles as well, dangers in the cities, dangers in the, uh, from his countrymen, dangers in the, in the mountains, all those kinds of things. And so this little phrase, with all perseverance, doesn't just apply to the signs of an apostle, which only a very small group identified Jesus manifested. A faithful determination to bring God's glory by doing his job when it was easy, when it was hard, identifies an attitude of humble faithfulness that needs to be duplicated no matter what comes to the minister. And it, that shouldn't surprise us, this response. You know, Jesus warned his disciples they'd have a hard time. In fact, in John chapter 15, verse 18, he said, if the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. And we pointed this out. That's why many false teachers today do so well. The world's not in opposition. They're part of the world, and they can fit right in. But faithful ministry, led by faithful ministers, though, are not of the world. And Jesus said, I chose you out of the world because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will perse also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. If I'd not come and spoken to them, they would ha not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I'd not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they've done this to fulfill the word that was written in their law. They hated me without cause. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he'll testify about me. And you will also, because you have been from, with me from the beginning. These things I've spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. And, you know, I, I just pause right there. As you think about those words and Jesus' comments, there, he's getting ready to leave. They know he's getting ready to depart. And that doesn't sound like good news for the ministry, doesn't it? It sounds like hardship. It sounds like hardness. It sounds like if you identify with Christ, you believe what he believed, you say what he said, then they're going to have the same types of responses. And so he says that, and then he says, even in the midst of being discouraged, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you to encourage you, and then I'm telling you this in advance so you won't stumble. In other words, when you figure out that it's not going to go perhaps as well as you think it's going to go, and you're going to be opposed at all sides, don't be discouraged. And I think perhaps that might be a good sign to put up in seminaries on the wall. This might not go like you think it's going to go. So don't be discouraged. The Holy Spirit's there, and he's going to help you, and you're representing me, so you should expect some opposition. These things I've spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. They'll make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me, but these things I've spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. I'm going to leave. Things are going to get more difficult, and I want to make sure that you know that, and that's not a bad thing. It's really affirming how it's supposed to go. And faithful ministry is always going to have to include bearing up and pushing through. And again, it's nothing new. If we go back to the prophet Jeremiah, one of my favorites, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord is commissioning Jeremiah, and he says this to him. He says, Now gird up your loins and arise, and speak to them all which I command you, and do not be dismayed before them, or I'll dismay you before them. Now behold, I've made you today as a fortified city, and a pillar of iron, and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They'll fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Now, that doesn't sound like a great invitation to come and minister. You're going to go, and you're going to have difficult times, and I'm going to have to really fortify you in order for you to last, and you're going to speak to all kinds of people, and they're going to fight against you, but they won't overcome you. So gird up your loins, arise, speak the truth to them, which all I command you. And that's the same idea. Bear up, bear up, persevere, push through. It's going to be tough going, but I'm with you. We see the same thing with Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 3. He says to me, son of man, I'm sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who've rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And I'm sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children. And you shall say to them, Thus saith the Lord God. In other words, you're going to reiterate things that I've told them already so that they can hear it. As for them, whether they listen or not, 
for they are a rebellious house. There's the second time. They will know that a prophet has been among them, and you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Now, that doesn't sound like a great job description. Neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. There it is again. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. There it is again. So again, here's a prophet being called by the Lord, being warned in advance. He's going to have opposition, difficult times he's going to go through. Um, it shouldn't surprise him. The Lord's going to fortify him, but they're a rebellious house. They may not listen to a single thing he says, but he's still doing exactly what the Lord wants him to do. Push through, persevere, give them my words, you're doing my work. And difficulty seems to always go with the preaching of the message of God's truth, with the ministry of God's people, Jesus' hands and feet. If you think about John the Baptist, he comes and he, he makes the way clear for Jesus. He drew these huge crowds out to, them, uh, to, out to him at the Jordan River. They ask him all kinds of questions, and he ask, answers the questions. And all the time they're laughing up their sleeve at his apparel and his diet, but he persevered. And he continued with his message until it was intolerable, and his head was chopped off, and it was presented on a plate at a party for everybody to laugh at. And Jesus, of course, who taught like no one ever before or since. In fact, Matthew says that when he would finish speaking, the crowds would be amazed because his teaching was as one having authority and not as their scribes. And his earthly ministry was fraught with difficulty, people opposing him on every side. And uh, he had to push through and persevere, and he humbled himself to the point of being executed, even execution on the cross by the hands of those he came to save. And this kind of ministry is, and this kind of idea, I think, is an overlap of things we've looked at before. But persevering through difficulty is part and parcel of the ministry. And it might be helpful to know that one of the direct sources of difficulty in order to teach us to persevere, and certainly through which all difficulty is filtered, is the Lord. In other words, we can see that in, in the passages that we've looked at already, uh, we saw it in the life of Paul. We certainly saw it in the life of Peter uh, before them in the lives of Abraham and Isaac. Some examples really of the stated purpose of God. In James chapter 1, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And it certainly seems to be according to God's own purposes and his good pleasure to bring his ministers into testing to stretch them and perfect them and bring them to better faithfulness. We know God chose to use difficulty to bring Paul's pride into check and take away his self-confidence and release him and ministers in general from the love of popularity and the fear of what people think. That's so difficult, beloved, when you start the ministry. You want people to like you and you're, and you're concerned about what they think about you. And both those things, the Bible says, are a snare. When you're worried about being popular and you're worried about what people will say and what they think about you, that begins to encroach on what you should be doing. But the Lord brought Paul into difficulty to make sure he was free of those things. And it would seem to be pleasing to God to refine those who minister in his name that they'll be more faithful and more diligent and more fervent over time, not less. He wants us to persevere through these little things and he brings us he brings us on them, or he brings them to us like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And of course, there's the classic illustration uh, from Jeremiah 45, one of my favorites, and I think that you can see this uh, so clearly as this is so illustrative of, of uh, really how ministry goes in general. Um, verse 1 says, this is the message which Jeremiah, what the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he had written down these words in a book at Jeremiah's dictation. So, uh, so Baruch is Jeremiah's scribe. He's doing a work with Jeremiah. He's, he's paired off with the prophet so that the words can be written down. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. So this is the last of the last days of the remaining nation of Israel, right at the very end. King of Judah saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel to you, O Baruch. You said, Ah, woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I'm weary with my groaning, and I found no rest. Now my guess is, Baruch probably said that to himself. I don't think it's likely that he said it out loud. He was pretty pleased with his relationship with, Jer with Jeremiah. And, uh, but the Lord knew what he said. And so the Lord is answering Baruch back. And this is very instructive for us. Thus you are to say to him, thus saith the Lord, behold, what I have built I am about to tear down, and what I have planted I am about to uproot, that is, the whole land. But you, are you seeking great things for yourself? Do not seek them, for behold, 
I'm going to bring disaster on all flesh, declares the Lord, but I'll give your life as the booty in all the places where you go. So Baruch is like, okay, I'm with Jeremiah. This should probably go well. We should probably have some success. This is the right combination. Jeremiah's a godly man. He has the right message for the nation. It's all going to be good. What does the Lord say? No, he does have the right message for the nation. And we saw his calling earlier. And the Lord was going to strengthen him and prepare him to give the message to a nation that wasn't going to listen and that the Lord was going to destroy. So here's Baruch. He's paired with Jeremiah. He's not in, he's not in that frame. He's not thinking, you know, this is going to all be hard. He's thinking this is all going to be great. And again, I think a plaque in a seminary or two would probably be good. You think great things for yourself? Don't think them. Okay? The Lord may not have great things for you. He may not have a prosperous ministry for you. There are certainly plenty of modern examples of people who labored both in the mission field and in, in, uh, in here in the U.S. over a long period of time where the Lord did a really great work through them, but not the one they thought they were going to have. So Baruch is told to persevere, and here it is, with no chance of great recognition, no chance of reward, and he's in the last days of the nation. Just persevere. You're here to do the work I want you to do. And so, beloved, if you think about that, it shouldn't surprise us then that those ministering in the last of the last days of the church age, which I don't think anybody would argue that we are in the last of the last days of the church age, with Israel in the land and all the things that we see coming and falling into place around us, that they should have to push through hardship too, correct? If you think about it, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. I want you to look here, and I think you'll find this is very, very much in line with what we've looked at already. Look at 2 Timothy 3. And verse 4, but all of them are prefaced by in the last days, and you can see that earlier. In the last days, men will be. And verse 4 picks up and says, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. So you'll be interacting with people who say that they're godly, but there's no work of the Lord going on in their life. We run into these kind of people all the time. They identify with Jesus they don't know at all. And so their, their life doesn't come in up under what the Word of God says. They, and there's no power in any of their work, right? A form of godliness Though they've denied its power, look at verse 7, skip to verse 7. Always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, you see this commonly in the modern church. People always want to go to Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, but never working out what they're learning. See, Continuous Bible studies without any break, but living exactly the way they've always lived. Verse 8, these men also oppose the truth. So there'll be men who will oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. That's what the last day's ministry will look like. So what will the last day's minister need to be? Look at verse 10. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love. Here's our word, perseverance. Verse 11, persecutions, sufferings, such as happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of all of them the Lord rescued me. Now, he could have said a lot of other things, right? He could have said, I planted these churches, and I, or I wrote these letters, and all that kind of stuff, and saw... What, what could have been certainly deemed as, as successes, except they were surrounded by difficulty constantly for Paul. All the time he's opposed. So he doesn't say any of that. He just says, listen, you followed this. You recognized what I had to go through, and in the last days, you're going to have to go through them. But the Lord rescued me from all of them. Indeed, verse 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You just got scooped up into the conversation. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. All. If you live a godly life, you're going to run into opposition. But evil men, verse 13, and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. You think it's bad now, it's going to be a lot worse. Deceiving and being deceived. You, however, verse 14, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now look at chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Verse 2, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. 
Verse 4, and will turn away from their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss, but you be sober in all things and do a hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, what could he have said? He could have said, preach the word and do miraculous signs and wonders and draw them all back. Does he say that? No, because Timothy wasn't one of those who did that, did he? What did he tell him to do? Faithful, faithful, persevere, persevere, endure work, do it when you feel like it and when you don't. That's in season and out. Do it when they want to hear it and they don't want to hear it in season and out. And while you're doing it, people will leave you. In the middle of ministry, they're going to leave the church that you're ministering and they'll go and follow things that they like better. That's going to happen, he says. So persevere through ministry. And it's well-pleasing to God who can make it hard to refine those who minister in his name. And that is well-pleasing to him. And we're still overlapping, of course, but persevering through difficulty is part and parcel of ministry, as we've seen. And it certainly all comes through the Lord and filters through him. But it might also be helpful and motivating to know another source of difficulty in which we're all to persevere, and that's the world. We saw what Jesus had to say about it earlier. We saw just now what uh, Paul said to Timothy. Some of that is in the church. Some of this is on the outside. But the world is this system of evil that's hostile against God. And everything the kingdom of God is not, and it's for everything the kingdom of God is against. And I don't think we need to look any farther than the battle that's going on in the Supreme Court for life, do we? The world is in favor of everything the word of God is against, and they are for, and, and they are against everything the word of God is for. It seems so obvious to us, does it not? That we don't murder human babies. And that completely escapes the world, doesn't it? Completely escapes the world. And this is, we do battle against the world constantly. There is a difference between the kingdom of God and the world as there is a difference between light and darkness. And that's because the world is Satan's temporary domain. And so we would expect the world to bring difficulty against a faithful minister. Why? Because the faithful minister reiterates the message of God to the world, just like we saw Ezekiel, just like we saw Jeremiah. You're going to reiterate what I said, and and those people who hear it, they're not going to like it. And that message opposes sin and makes those who love the world very uncomfortable because he reminds the world of the eternal doom on the world of sinners. And that's not a popular message. And when they say it, it shouldn't surprise them that they are unpopular because because they are viewed as the enemy of every indulgent sinner. Mark it, redeemed or unredeemed. And the world knows, and the prince of the power of air, Satan, knows that if you can destroy the under shepherd, you can scatter the sheep. And so it's imperative then, as you minister, you do as First Timothy 3.2 says, an overseer, particularly con- talking about someone who is over the church as an elder, an overseer then must be above reproach. And a palimptos, unable to be taken hold of. It just means there's no handholds on your life. It's not that you're sinless. You're not on some kind of pedestal. You are still made of flesh. You're a earthen jar, as Paul called himself. But you are reigning in your life, see? No cause is another way to interpret it. No cause for accusation. So it's nothing that somebody can point to and say, ah, this, you need to stop. This is in your life, and this is a sinful issue. And because of this continued attack by the world, faithful ministers have to persevere in good work and circumspect life patterns. Paul says he had to forsake those things that bring shame. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 4.2? I've forsaken those things that bring shame. If you want to be faithful in the ministry and you want to be able to withstand the, the impact from the world and you want to become the kind of minister God wants you to be, you're going to have to forsake the things that lead to shame. Look at your life. How does that look? Do you continue to, to, to indulge in things that if it's, got, it's found out, that's going to bring shame on you and the ministry? So you, you forsake those things, right? And, and we're told to walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, Galatians 5.16. How do you walk in the Spirit? You're in the Word every single day. You're meditating on the Word and what it says and putting that to work in your own life. Your life begins to be filled with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, right? This is, this is what being, being uh, walking in the Spirit is supposed to look like. Or, or we say of 1 Thessalonians 4.4, 4, that each person should know how to control his own vessel in sanctification and honor. What's that mean? That the body where we have the difficult times, we should be learning how to possess that vessel in sanctification, becoming more like Christ, and honor so the things that we do bring glory to the Lord. Not shameful things. See. So this is part and parcel then of being a faithful minister and you're going to come up against trouble. You don't want to be in a place where there can be a foothold 
something that somebody can grab a hold of. Let's see. And if you, know, if you think about that continued attack by the world, as a faithful minister, you have to persevere in good work and circumspect life patterns. The rest of this chapter, 2 Timothy 3, 2 and following, um, gives guidance on what that's supposed to look like for those who want to stand in the pulpit. But it takes in a lot of other things as well. Wives of deacons, deacons, and then as it moves on through everyone. Perseverance is part and partial of ministry. And perseverance through God's testing and the circumspect life and the hardship in the ministry and teaching truthfully and fully the word of God which deals with the souls of men. Perseverance there brings about a refinement that is pleasing to God. And as a footnote and contradistinction to that, false prophets are just the opposite. And because Paul is addressing them, I think it's important just to say as a side note, they deceive people, they dupe people, they disillusion people, and sometimes literally condemn people to destruction by their lies. That's what they are doing constantly. And they, they are received with open arms and they're applauded because they're really part of the world's system. They're emissaries of Satan. They're ambassadors of Satan who runs the world system, so they're in perfect partnership with it. You know, this is a passage that has brought encouragement to me over the years, and I've used it to encourage other ministers. But Luke 6, 26, disciples are feeling a little beat, beat up. They've had some um, people against them. They've had some difficult times, and people saying things about them. And Jesus says to them in Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. What's that mean? It just means when everybody thinks you're great, you're probably not in God's sight. If you've not, if you've not caused anybody to have trouble with what you had to say, you're probably not saying anything worth hearing. Woe unto you, he says, when all men speak well of you. That's not, that's not the, the litmus test of whether or not you're doing well. In fact, as we've seen, it's perhaps the opposite certainly with the examples we have in the Scripture. And again, as we've seen before, and again, this is an overlap, it's when you do all of these kinds of things, when you're, when you're uh, dealing with the souls of men, when you're persevering through God's testing, when you're, when you're um, struggling through and you're preaching the Word and you're ready in season and out and all that stuff, it's very unlikely that you're going to see any reward here for persevering. And I think it's important to remember this. False teachers are usually looking for their reward here, their best life here, the cushy life, the, the prosperous, so it looks like they're doing really well. Listen, the reality is, though, the work is here, and heaven's going to pay the wages. That's the reality. I mean, you may from time to time get an encouragement. You, you may have somebody remember, you know, something that you did that was beneficial to them, but that's not what you labor for, see? Here we get ridiculed and maligned, and heaven will get honor. That's the general principle of it. Here, most forget in heaven, it's all remembered. Don't forget this, beloved. Here, most people forget. They, they may forget that Sunday school class you taught for years and how you made a big impact on their kid. They may not ever say to you, you were really, really important in my child's life. They may never come to you after you've preached a message or after you've done ministry for a long time and say, I really appreciate that faithful ministry. I've really grown. That's not why you labor, and it's unlikely that's going to be there. But here's the thing. The Lord doesn't forget any of that, see. Here's the sacrifice, heaven's the reward. Here's where we lay it up, and heaven's where we cash it in, okay? Here's the battle, and heaven's the victory. Here, here's the thorns, and heaven's the crowns, see. That, that's how it always is. That's the pattern, see. And, and people quit because they're so discouraged. They just don't think things are going like they should go. Listen, think about Ezekiel. Think about Jeremiah. Think about the Apostle Paul. There's no examples of people just kind of cruising on through. Very few. Very few examples of people who are like, this is going to really go great, and it does. All the way through. See, Faithful ministers usually have to wait for perseverance payment. And it's going to be in heaven or nowhere, right? I mean, God's servants are going to be fittingly rewarded. And you have to get this fully in your mind, beloved. If you're going to persevere... Don't think automatically somebody's going to pat you on the back and say, thanks for persevering. Okay? It's unlikely. It doesn't matter because we don't lay for that. See? Get it fully in your mind that as you persevere through, 
the difficult things that the Lord brings to you to perfect you, you persevere through the difficult things the world's going to throw at you as you oppose everything about it. See, get it in your mind because that's really hard to manage sometimes. That's why people, they get out of the ministry. They, people call it burned out. You know what it really is? It's expectations that didn't match what they should have seen in the scriptures. Unmet expectations. That's why people get out of the ministry. I mean, they get out because they've, they haven't led a circumspect life and they get caught up in sin and they have to step down. That's certainly the case. But faithful guys will get out. They're just so tired because it didn't go like they thought it was going to go. And obviously, listen, and it just seems obvious, right? The world cannot reward us because it doesn't know what's important, right? It doesn't have anything of value to offer. And most of the time, they don't want to reward us because they hate the message that we bring. And it's even inside the church. There are many great illustrations of persevering and laboring for the future. You know, if you think about 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, Paul says this, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. So in other words, he uses what we would consider now the Olympics. He says, listen, if you're going to be a top-tier athlete, there's going to be a whole lot of sacrifices you're going to have to make, and probably most of them no one really knows, right? We don't know what top-tier athletes really have to go through. We think that we do, perhaps, as we've been in athletics, some of us. But listen, top-tier athletes have a lot of things they have to exercise self-control in that we don't know about. And they do it, it says, to receive a perishable wreath. In other words, it's going to fade in two weeks. It's going to wilt. But they put that effort in and the continuous perseverance because they want to win. But we, it says, an imperishable. So what's the illustration? We're working just as hard. We're making just the same kind of sacrifices. And what we're going to inherit is something that won't fade. Therefore, Paul says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I know what the rules are and I'm running according to them. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I'm not wasting my efforts on things that aren't going to matter. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. There's that circumspect part of life, right? Putting aside, forsaking those things that bring shame. I discipline my body to bring it into my slavery. I recognize in my flesh those are the things that are going to trip me up. So that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I want to make sure that I'm on the path, see? But I inherit an imperishable wreath. First Peter chapter 5, this is one that's a, a big favorite of mine in the ministry. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed. So Peter stands in a position that subsequent ministers don't stand in. They didn't get to see the glory of the resurrection of Christ, right? They weren't there when Christ was uh, going through his ministry. Peter is in a different condition position, but he's speaking to those who are going to come along behind. That's, it's directed towards those who are going to come along behind. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. So in other words, you're going to have to be actively involved in guiding those under your care. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion. So you've got to make, you've got to make some decisions and don't do it because you have to, but what voluntarily, according to the will of God, that's God's will for you to do it that way and not for sordid gain. In other words, not just because they pay you, but with eagerness because you want to. Verse 3, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving as examples to the flock. In other words, not telling them to do something and not then grabbing a hold and helping. You're just kind of commanding everybody and not doing it. You're supposed to be an example. Do it that way. And Again, perseverance, perseverance, push through, push through. Do the job, right? And when the chief, shep chief shepherd appears, you'll receive an unfading crown of glory. You're laboring, but you're not going to see the reward until later. But the Lord says he's going to give that to you. Do it that way. Very simple. What's a pastor supposed to do? You just read it. I mean, churches have all kinds of expectation of what their pastor is going to do. You know, as I tell guys who are going out into the ministry, listen, you need to set up very clearly at the beginning what your job is. Because your job is not defined by what the expectations of the church are. Your job is defined by what the great shepherd says you're supposed to do. And everything else then falls perhaps inside a gift set if, if you have some time to apply to it. But you're supposed to over exercise oversight. See? And you're supposed to do it in such a way that they are equipped to do the work of the ministry. And when you do it that way, you labor for a future that's bright. One of the most wonderful illustrations 
is found in Isaiah 49.4. I think you'll find it might be your favorite, particularly if you're going through a difficult time or you're struggling or you're discouraged. Here's what Isaiah says. And you know Isaiah's ministry. You've read about how he was called into ministry, the things that he had to go through, again, towards the end of, of, the, uh, of the nation in the land. Verse 4 says, But I said, that's what Isaiah says, I have toiled in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Have you ever felt that way? You, you labored and you did all of that and then it didn't really come out like you thought it was going to come out and it just doesn't seem like people will respond and you just say, I've, and you get towards the end of your life and just kind of think, I've toiled in vain and I've labored for nothing. I've used my strength up for nothing. Did he? We're going to find out. Isaiah says, yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord. Isaiah knows that someday the Lord will recognize what he's done. And although Isaiah was treated very unjustly during the time of that kingdom, he says, the Lord has justice and my reward is with God. And that's the right perspective, isn't it? It seems that I've spent my strength for nothing, but God will give me my justice. And my reward waits with him. Then here it is, and this is so, so sweet, and I think you'll really enjoy this. And God answers Isaiah's sorrow. And listen to what he says. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. Isn't that great? Isaiah is mistreated and said his reward is in heaven, although I think in his mind he probably still thinks he labored and wasted his strength. And God confirmed that he had chosen Isaiah and used up his days on earth. But like Ezekiel and like Jeremiah, it wasn't for nothing. You're going to speak, and they might not hear you, but they'll know a prophet's among you. You're going to speak, but they're a, rebellious, they're a rebellious bunch. Just keep saying what I tell you to say. Isaiah, I've used up my strength for nothing. I've gotten to the end of my life. There's been no impact whatsoever. But God says, it wasn't for nothing. I used you to bring a nation back to him, even though Isaiah didn't see that in his day, did he? And God affirmed that Isaiah would be honored for his labor. And I think that's just so cool as you think about that. Isn't it? it don't serve half-heartedly. Don't do ministry wondering if it mattered. Don't do it without fervency. Don't do it without perseverance. Listen, it matters. If you're doing what the Word says to do and you persevere in it, it matters. And it'll matter for all eternity. See? Prophets persevered through hardship knowing they had a reward coming. Jesus persevered through death uh, knowing that he would receive the honor due him and he'd have the glory again as he had at the beginning with the, with the Father and he would bring many sons to glory in the process. And the apostles persevered, many of them knowing their death would be at the hands of those they ministered to, many of them knowing what their death would be at the beginning of their ministry, how they would die. And they looked forward to a reward for the future. Hebrews 11 is full of people like that, full of people like you and me and missionaries and believers all around the world who understood that they didn't labor for this kingdom. And it's unlikely they were going to get any thanks for persevering. But they understood that their life was not their own. They were bought with a price. So they glorified God with their body, which is the Lord's. See. And those who have followed after, who are faithful ministers, beloved, following Paul's example, have persevered. They know and are reminded that the reward is not here. And R.C. Sproul embraced that very well, that idea in his book, A Taste of Heaven, Worship in the Light of Eternity. He said, quote, you can grieve for me the week before I die if I'm scared and hurting. But when I gasp that last fleeting breath and my immortal soul flees to heaven, I'm going to be jumping down the golden streets and my biggest concern, if I have any, will be my wife back here grieving. Mark this. When I die, I'll be identified with Christ's exaltation. But right now, I'm identified with his affliction. That's the, that's the right idea, isn't it? He understood that very clearly. Grieve for me in the middle of the last parts of my life where I'm in pain and having a hard time. You can grieve for me there. But don't grieve for me the second I leave. 
Because when I leave, I leave Christ's affliction and I get Christ's exaltation. See? Labored his whole life and he understood that to be the case. Here's the affliction and heaven's the exaltation. Our true reward for our work in perseverance is in heaven because God is the only one, beloved, who knows the true nature of our ministry. God alone knows our motives. And this is important, I think, to add to this persevering. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed by fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. See? It's not just persevering in what you want to do, see? There's parameters about which you labor. And then the Lord takes a look at all of that at the end, see? It'll all be made evident. It's going to show forth the motives for everything. False teachers work to be recognized on earth. True ministers following the example of Paul work for heavenly recognition. And they're good with 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. See, that's the thing, isn't it? As you think about reining your life in, as you think about uh, putting away those things that bring shame, as you think about persevering even in hard times, even though people don't recognize what you've done, but God remembers all that. It's, it's inside the parameters of what he said to do. It's all laid out in his word. You labored that way, see? With that attitude, with that, with that uh, sanctification working its way out. And beloved, I would just say this. You know, think about your life as you think about this. This is, this is a date already set, a date of meeting the boss and him taking a look at how you spent it. I mean, if you've not been persevering, if you've not been consistent, if you've, if you've been wishy-washy, you did ministry when you felt like it, you didn't do it when you felt like it, you've, you've courted the world, you've been in the world, you've done what the world wants to do, you love the world. Listen, listen, there is no reward for that. You've used your life up in vain, and that's the reality, not Isaiah thinking he used his life up in vain. You're using your life up in vain. Make the second half much better than the first. We've all been to movies like that, right, where we're sitting there thinking, I'm going to get out of here in like a minute. This is terrible. And then you stuck through it, and you're like, second half was like really good. That's what, that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Start now, okay? If you've kind of piddled your life away and you've destated the world, I mean, you've fallen into the, uh, the, the passage we just saw in Timothy chapter 4, right? A form of godliness, denying the power, ever learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Don't be like that. This is a call back. Listen, if we're going to look at examples of anything, we've got to look at the perseverance first, don't we? fervency in ministry as we saw in Romans chapter 12 which is so pleasing to the Lord See? ministry knowing we have a divine appointment we're out of time so we're just going to finish up with this false teachers want to work to fulfill their pride here they want popularity and fame and they want it now and they make a lot of compromises now to get it True ministers following the example of Paul are glad to be humble and glad to be faithful here and receive the glory that's yet to be given them in the presence of God after he takes a look at everything. And they're perfectly fine with that. And they hold their life up to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and the word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword and it pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Lord has already done that with you, beloved. Did you know that? He's able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. He understands your motives. You're laying down. You're rising up. There isn't a part of you that he doesn't understand. Listen, bring it into subjection. Begin to do things in your life that make a difference. For eternity. You're living for that anyway. You are eternal. You, your soul will be alive forever. And as a believer, you will be rejoined to a glorified body forever. But only the stuff you do here is the stuff that carries over. There is no creature hidden from his sight. And all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of one, him and whom we have to do. Listen, even if you haven't got caught up in your sin yet, the Lord already knows what it is. You're open and laid bare. The Word of God makes it clear. See, come into conformity. Paul's example with regard to the world was a concern to simply, beloved, listen, persevere faithfully and humbly with a message in light 
of heavenly reward. And we can be sure that there is one. Revelation twenty two twelve. one of the last things Jesus says in all the New Testament, Behold, I'm coming quickly. And what? My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. What a joyful thought that is. If you live your life in perseverance and fervency in ministry, regardless of the way that the Lord makes it wash out, regardless of whether it came out like you thought it was going to come out, this, this is where it's at, see? This is where it's at. And I know many of you do this, and I'm so grateful for you. You minister fervently here, and you have for many years. I, I'm blessed to watch that. So the call is not necessarily, okay, everybody's doing a bad job. It's like every other thing we see in First Thessalonians. You're doing it, do so still more, see? And if you're not doing it, it's a call. Listen, there's accounting. Come up under it this way and be blessed in doing it the way the Lord wants you to do it. It won't be easy, and the Lord will delight in making you more like his son, and the world will oppose you, and when you're all done, the reward will be there because the Lord doesn't forget any of that. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for the blessing of just being together. So grateful for the ministry and fellowship of the saints and uh, the ministry that we love and the things that we love to do to, for one another. And I'm so grateful that it goes on all the time here. It's going on now downstairs, faithful people persevering through ministry when it's hard, when they were busy this week and they come and they discharge their ministry downstairs because they love being obedient to you. And Father, I pray that you draw all of us that direction to faithfulness and perseverance, finding our delight in walking in holiness and not in the world, to not be one who's always studying, never coming to the knowledge of the truth, but as studying as we study, being perfected and be more like your son. Not as one who has a form of godliness but no power, but the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, both to crucify the flesh, help us walk in the spirit and not obey the desires of the flesh, and to exercise our gifts so that people are encouraged and blessed and built up. So that's our prayer today, Lord, it's simple enough. It's what you want us to respond, how you want us to respond. And uh, we're grateful that uh, you're a God who desires to, what he began, will finish. Begin to work on us, be faithful to complete it. For that we give you praise and honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray.